0: Today, I essentially run a a startup studio where I make several different investments in different sites and I have different projects that all run on ElderJS. And I don't see that ending anytime soon because some of these projects are starting to get substantial traction. As soon as the projects are self-sustaining, someone's gonna be hired to maintain ElderJS full-time is my goal. We're seeing this iteration on on our properties where static site generation is great. But sometimes when you're dealing with content heavy sites, you need real time feedback. And so server side rendering is important. And so that is backwards compatible. You can basically upgrade ElderJS to the latest. I try to keep so few breaking changes. The only thing that's changed is, I think a couple hook interfaces. My goal is to keep it backwards compatible so that I don't have my own upgrade issues. But as far as server side rendering, I was able to fit that right in without any breaking changes. And now you have an upgrade path to go right to server side rendering if you need it.
1: Big thanks to our partners, Linode, Fastly, and LaunchDarkly. We love Linode. They keep it fast and simple. Check them out at linode.com changelog. Our bandwidth is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com and get your feature flags powered by LaunchDarkly. Get a demo at LaunchDarkly.com. This episode is brought to you by Retool. Retool is the low-code platform for developers to build internal tools super fast and super easy. They have a ton of integrations and templates to start with. With a click of a button in seconds, you can start with a new Postgres admin panel application. Kick off an admin panel for reading from and writing to your database built on Postgres. This app lets you look through, edit, and add users, orders, and products. It's too easy to get started with Retool. Head to retool.com changelog to learn more and try it for free. Free. Again, that's retool.com/changelog.
2: This is JS Party, your weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. We record live on YouTube each and every Thursday at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern. Subscribe to our channel for notifications at youtube.com changelog. And join in the conversation on Twitter. We are at JSPartyFM. Okay, let's get right into it. Hey, it's party time, y'all. Welcome back, everyone. It's JS Party Time. And speaking of back, Amel is back. What's up, Amel? How are you?
3: I am well. Thank you so much, Jared.
2: Happy June. Happy summertime. Indeed. Indeed. And K-Ball is here. What's up, K-Ball?
4: Hey, I'm doing great. I have coffee in the office again. It's awesome.
2: He's in the office. He's drinking coffee. That's the K-Ball we know and love. You got it. And we also have a special guest. It's Nick Reese. Nick, thanks for coming on the party. Hey, thanks for having me. We are excited to talk about Svelte today, to talk about static site generators, to talk about ElderJS, which is your project. But first off, I mean, we need to address this. Nick has imposter syndrome, y'all. Nick, welcome to the club. We all have imposter syndrome here, and we're all welcome. But... uh you felt like maybe you're not qualified to be talking on a JavaScript podcast. What's up with that, man?
0: Of course, you're here. You're qualified. No imposter Yeah, so I mean, I've only been writing meaningful code for like three years. And it's kind of funny because I never really identified as being a developer, or coder, or anything like that. Prior to this, I've built several SEO companies and startups and had several exits. And essentially, I have to have something to do with my time. And I find building out useful websites for consumers is kind of where I spend that and I built the static site generator for fun and it kind of grew into something I decided to open source and has meaningful usage in the world. And it's, it's kind of strange because I'm like, I've never thought, I've never had my code critiqued. It works, that's what I know. And it feels a little strange to imagine people picking through my code and saying, oh, that, th- this could be more efficient or whatnot. But I think everyone has some of that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, congratulations on the success. Sometimes just the confidence to put it out there is what it takes you know, to overcome that feeling of this is not good enough to open up or to, to release and being willing to face the fire of a bunch of fellow nerds, you know, poking and prodding and saying, why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? You shouldn't have done this. You shouldn't have done that. Sometimes that's the scary thing, but you got past that and you've got some some people interested. So that's a cool thing.
0: Yeah, it's been fun. It's been a really enjoyable to have like actual feedback to my code. But before this, essentially... My team would just commit my code because I was the boss, and now it's like <laughs> seeing people using my code because it's actually useful. It's pretty nice. So, yeah, it's a, it's definitely a flip of the tables. I've never really had code review, and so it's cool to see other people review my code and say how things can be more efficient. It's a, a nice feedback loop to improve. Yeah,
3: code reviews are one of the most underrated tools when it comes to like teaching and learning and growing and people like I don't know if folks appreciate it it just feels like a chore it's like oh I gotta get this over the you know gotta submit this PR for review and quote unquote you know but it's like so it's such a great mechanism for like giving your colleagues feedback and then also getting inside other people's you know brains of like how they would do it so yeah. it's just I love giving feedback and and getting feedback on my code it's, it's the best
2: you love both so I do not love giving the feedback. I don't mind receiving it because I'm trying to improve and I know my code is not what it could be or there's other better ideas. But the giving side for me always feels like the chore. Like If I had 10 to-dos on a day and one of them was you know, code review, K-Ball's code, automatically put it at number 10 because I just don't want to do it. So I end up blocking people. It's terrible. What about you, K-Ball?
4: Well, I think reviewing code and reading code is its own separate skill from writing code. And it's one that we don't always flex in the same way. Mm-hmm. I've actually been investigating the possibility of putting a code review stage into an interview process because I think it is such an important set of skills. Mm. How do you read and understand code that you didn't write? How do you read? And and let's be honest, like read and understand code you wrote six months ago is basically the same problem. You're right. <laughs> yeah. How do you read and understand it? How do you critique it? How do you think about it? And how do you give useful and constructive feedback? Those are all unique skills, but extremely valuable. Mm-hmm. I also want to loop back a little bit on the, the new decoding thing. You actually have a superpower, Nick, which is you have experience out in things that are not coding. So many times, people who are coming up purely in the coding path, they're like, oh, but what should I build? I'm, I know, I'll make a developer tool because they're so stuck in this like isolated world and this idea of like, what is actually useful to people who are not software developers, what's going to make a good business or a good open source project that's not just serving other developers is actually a very hard step. So I love to see folks coming to coding late in their careers or midway in their careers having already done some sort of other expertise. I think it sets you up very well for success within this field, just as it sounds like you've already seen success in other fields.
0: That makes a ton of sense to me because... On my end, I, I see all these opportunities, and that's the reason I got into programming is to, so that I could actually start tackling those opportunities. Because there's like that step between where you're actually you have an idea, but you need to communicate it, and sometimes that's not high enough bandwidth. Especially once you're like a talented developer, you can almost just spin up your ideas faster yourself than having to manage a team. And I'm always been a really big fan of really tiny teams, like more than seven people. Like none of my companies should be larger than that. Because if you can't do that, suddenly your communication explodes exponentially. You have politics, you have everything else. And for me, it's just like, I like to move fast. And like if I'm the bottleneck and my typing speed is the bottleneck, that's what generally what matters to me. And that's the reason why I've been attracted to developing in general.
4: Yeah, prototypes even are one of the most effective ways to communicate an idea. You know, Can you create a prototype that shows what you have in mind and... For me as well, doing that in code is way faster than trying to do that in some sort of GUI tool or some other thing.
0: Mm-hmm. 100% agree. Plus, it's
2: just the autonomy and the fact that like it's fun to bring at least a prototype or at least some aspect of your idea into the world without anybody's help. I mean, maybe a little bit of help there, here, or there, but when you can go from idea to deployed something on your own, whether you're a CEO of a startup. Or whether you're just a tinkerer who has this idea, that, I think, is very satisfying. And I think that's what drives a lot of the willingness to learn more and go through the arduous process of getting better, is because like that feeling, that those endorphins, when you actually deploy, pretty rad. And while working in the team is fun, I think when it comes to creating something brand new, I think if you can do it without needing anybody, that's kind of a superpower, too.
0: I would say that's probably one of my favorite things about releasing ElderJS is like generally when you use an off the shelf tool, you might look at it and say, I wish it did this thing. Well, now I can do that and say, oh, well, I can actually make it do that thing. Like just recently yeah. on a, a project that we, we were building, it's called, I can talk about it later, but it's called Fine Energy. It's a site we released with ElderJS. We're shipping these huge payloads to the browser. And generally what we'd done before that is build these little custom functions that would basically write everything to an array and then have the reverse of that on the browser, right? because if you're passing JSON, those keys can be duplicated just a huge amount of times. And like on our Texas page, like the payload was like 500 kilobytes of, mm-hmm. because we're rehydrating it in, in the browser. I was like, it's really strange to me that no framework essentially goes through, collects all the props that are gonna be written to the HTML, creates a custom dictionary, and then unpacks it on the browser. And I was like, I wonder if that could work. And I took like a quick power nap And I woke up and I was like, I just can't stop thinking about this idea. And and about two hours later, I had it built into ElderJS. And after Broatly, it's still saving it 10% of the size. I was able to reduce the the HTML size of those props by like 46%. So it's pretty satisfying to be able to do that very quickly. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know of any other framework that does like prop compression, but it feels like it should exist if you're using islands essentially to partially hydrate stuff. Because often... For instance, the word Texas was in those props hundreds of times. There's no reason that we should have that so many times when it's incredibly easy to use a map and build a custom dictionary for the browser to unpack that.
4: That's kind of fun. So you're prof- you're applying code modification to data because you've got JSON-based data.
0: Yep. yep. Right? And knowledge
4: of the
2: system and the ability to do it.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To be honest, I think the reason why maybe this hasn't been quote unquote invented yet at scale is there's so many clean boundaries that are drawn, you know, there's separation of concerns. And a lot of times people are focused on kind of optimizing their little bucket, their concern. And I think the kind of the, the orchestra of concerns, you know, when they're working together isn't like the end-to-end optimization of web development and serving assets like from, you know, source to user isn't. A pipeline that's like there's lots of leaks in that pipeline, yeah. you know, and it's because mm-hmm. no one is solely focused on the pipeline. Everybody's focused on their their little pipe, you know.
2: And so, Mel, I think the orchestra of concerns. I think yeah. that's like a a thing, a new talk by Amel Hussein coming soon.
3: <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I could write a book, like a coffee book, with just like titles of inspiring <laughs> tech talks, like yes. all the problems. Maybe we should like do that as a podcast. You know, place that would be music. cool. And I'll just like
2: just like here's a bunch of ideas of talks people should do
3: to do you know? right put it out into the universe. Just Mel's
4: going to do inspiring <laughs> ones, and I'll just do bad dad
2: puns.
3: <laughs> <laughs> the flip verse, yeah. But yeah, like you know, so I think frameworks, you know, JavaScript frameworks have historically taken on, I think, a big burden You know, when it comes to the orchestra of concerns, right? There's a lot of abstraction around multiple layers of user interactions that are just kind of simplified for developers. But it's really cool to see that y- y'all have taken it a step further in yeah. Elder. That's great. So,
4: Well, and I feel like this is a trend that's going on right now in the JavaScript ecosystem. JavaScript for quite a while was all in on the fragmentation and many small packages and all of these different pieces and we're seeing more and more folks going the route that we saw in some other ecosystems where it's like no we want end-to-end understanding of the system because we can do these types of optimizations we want you know sensible defaults that maybe you can configure i'm thinking frameworks like redwood trying to do this i'm thinking Mm -hmm. tool chains like rome trying to do this like we're seeing this idea and you know tech industry we do this all the time right you do
2: The pendulum swings.
4: Yeah. Pendulum swings between, okay, we want to coordinate everything to we're going to break everything apart to we're going to coordinate everything again to break everything apart. Like this is part of what this industry does and actually what I think
2: technology does in general. But we're seeing that
4: in JavaScript.
2: I agree with you completely, K-Ball. And it's something that I've been sort of preaching on this podcast for a couple of years now. I think this is a good trend. And of course, every methodology has its pros and cons and so you can get all in on a framework as a community and see the other side the downside of that that being said i want to generalize something that nick said about his ability to just go ahead and put this feature into elder i just want to generalize that and say as developers you should be building your a toolkit you know you should be building reusable things that you have that you can pull from and you can modify when you have that idea you can say you know what Actually, if I go back to this thing that I wrote before and I change it this way, then this project benefits and I can take that to my next project It's going to benefit. Now, maybe it's not open source. Maybe it's not a framework. Maybe it's not for everybody to use, but be building up kind of a, a compendium of things that you can continually work on throughout your career and carry them with you just like you would, you know, a box of tools. But the, the nice thing about with software is, you know, you buy a hammer, it's a hammer. But with software, we can build our own hammers. So, of course, use other people's code when it makes sense. But be building things that you have the control over and the knowledge over that so when you have that idea, you don't get blocked at some upstream, right? Like, oh, I was going to do this, but Svelte can't do that, so I can't do that. I'm not saying don't use Svelte. I'm just saying that like, when you have the autonomy inside your own tooling, it's really powerful to see your ideas to fruition. Well, and even if you can't control the code, write down how you solved it somewhere,
4: right? Like I've solved the same problem for like three or four different companies at different times for a couple of different problems because it's one that shows up regularly. And now, you know, when I see us, I'm at a new company, I see us starting to have that problem. I can say, okay, great. I can solve that for you in a day because I've done it. I've got the patterns. And yeah, it's one where there's enough nuance that a sort of complete open source Solution isn't likely to work because it has to integrate with your data or whatever, but the pattern exists and I can just run with it. And you can do that by writing it up in a blog post or internal notes or something like that. So even if you can't build out that reusable code snippet for whatever reason, capturing those patterns and mm-hmm. building yourself a pattern library
0: is super valuable. 100%. When I was writing ElderJS, sorry to interject here, when I was writing ElderJS, I wanted to make sure plugins were essentially first class citizens. So there's like an entire hook system that enforces what, like basically ElderJS under the hood has a global scope everywhere. But there's like a hook system that doesn't allow you to change things that shouldn't be mutated on different hooks. What that allowed us to do is, or the idea here was to basically make sure that plugins could be first class citizens. So for instance, the number of times I've written resizing of images in order to do responsive images is just crazy, right? And so I think I've done it four or five times. But now because plugins are a first class citizen, I can just take that old code and basically put it into a plugin, and now anyone can use it. Yeah. And that's what I love about what I've built there is like all of my old tools that I have of like hidden repositories that aren't public. I mean, I'm slowly peeling them off and making a little ecosystem for ElderJS because now they have a place. Just a standalone package that resizes all your images doesn't really. You know, that's cool. There's lots of those, right? And most people would reach for something like Sharp in the JavaScript ecosystem to resize stuff. But, you know, by having it as a part of the ElderJS ecosystem, you can now use it if you're using JS as a static site generator. Or if you're using, you can use the same code to, if, if you have a dashboard where you're uploading images for an internal by your team, you can still use that on an Elder site. And so it's, it's kind of nice to be tightly coupled, similar to like how Apple controls the hardware and the software. It's, it's really nice. I really enjoy that. Mm-hmm. So we've
2: mentioned Elder. We've said it's a static site generator. It has a very specific opinion or viewpoint of the world, which comes out of the work that you do and your, your businesses. So before we get too far into the details, Nick, why don't you just hit the nail on the head, give the, the synopsis of ElderJS and the SEO you know aspect and some of the high-level things so that we all have the same foundation to build on.
0: Yeah, so ElderJS started because I like to build massive sites that are basically SEO-focused. So the last one was Broadband Now. I have a couple others Fine energy and elder guide and essentially what these do is they take a huge amount of government data and create good user tools or resources so people can make informed decisions well uh if, if you're doing that and you're doing so much data you either have the decision to spend a lot of time optimizing your sql or you can use a static site generator because then the, the build times don't really matter because if you're serving it from cdn it doesn't really static contents fast right mm-hmm. so that's where ElderJS was born out of. But the problem that I found with the JavaScript ecosystem is generally SEO is kind of an afterthought. SEO is what happens after. And I got really badly burned. I was turning around a project. I had acquired a site that had been built on WordPress and I converted it to Gatsby with a team of really talented developers. And Gatsby kept on making core changes and it kept like our rankings were just going down. And I was like, there needs to be a framework if I'm going to be going all in on JavaScript that takes SEO as a priority. It makes it a priority. And while ElderJS doesn't do anything fancy from an SEO perspective. It's always going to be thought of, first and foremost. Like SEO, Like we're not going to do anything that's going to hamper your efforts, right? So internally in the Svelte community, I was spending a lot of time lobbying to work on better hydration because the way it was working, basically hydration for Svelte, it was trashing the entire DOM model and then rebuilding it. And so that would cause, and this is my hypothesis, is that Google has two different bots. One is the one that just looks at HTML and the other one is a JavaScript bot, and that's known. When you're basically trashing the DOM, Google doesn't know if it can trust the HTML. So it sends the JavaScript bot around. So we're having indexation problems. And for me, it's important that someone's watching that, especially if your business is built around SEO. So huh. that's the main reason why I went all in on SEO for ElderJS. Does it do anything fancy? No, it's the top consideration. Like every single decision I make is from the SEO view.
3: Nick, don't you feel like that problem is a little, like SEO is a concrete nugget that you can point to for like where most frameworks fail, but most JavaScript frameworks fail. But I think it's a symptom, you know, of a a wider problem. You know, I think like the root cause is just JavaScript bias. Dun, 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 you know, (laughs) love of JavaScript may cause... (laughs) using too much JavaScript to do all the things, right? you know?
2: Sleepiness, drowsiness.
3: Sleepiness, drowsiness, too much JavaScript, you know? <laughs> Slow
2: loading pages. Building a simple blog yeah. with Gatsby. Right. Yeah, exactly.
3: Building a simple blog with Gatsby. That's great. Or even really more concretely, like just not respecting the primitives of the web and, you know, constructing too much DOM in the browser and like putting that cost on the user, you know? It's just... Asinine. Am I allowed to say that on TV? Are we on TV? JS
2: and nine? Yes <laughs> no. and no.
3: and9 you know, it's just problematic because we've kind of furled ourselves into this mess. And the sad thing is, you know, the arc of the web, you know, like the web is just things get published and a lot of times not updated. And you know, it's the problem that's gonna live with us for a long time. And so kind of take another generation, I think, to hopefully unfurl ourselves. But I'm glad that you know, that you're uh, taking a step in the right direction with Elder.
0: Yeah, it was really surprising to me to find that there wasn't a single framework that really allowed you to just serve static JavaScript, right? Or just static HTML, right? That was generated by JavaScript. You had to have all this client whiz-bang, you had to have full hydration, you had to have like a service worker, you had to have all this stuff. And debugging service workers because you're having SEO issues is not fun. Like that was an issue that we had that was the closest thing that we could point to when we had issues with Gatsby. Is they made a major change to the default service worker and like we just had to rip out the service worker in order to do it and it, it just seemed like everything was overkill. And so I decided to you know spend an afternoon building my own little framework and it worked but then it started growing and you know how those things go.
1: What's up, party people? This episode is brought to you by Micro. Micro, aka M3O, is a new cloud platform built for developers by developers. Our good friend Azam Aslam is leading this. And if you're tired of AWS and feeling overwhelmed by the cloud, infinite billing, and an endless sea of docs, it is time for a change. The Micro team is reimagining the cloud for the next generation. M3O is a new developer-friendly platform to explore, search, and use simpler APIs for everyday consumption. All all in one place get access to the apis you need in one click and test them right there on the web before using them simple fast and affordable you won't get burned by bottomless billing you top up your account and pay as you go and right now they're in early development and building out the first set of apis and they're looking for feedback from developers sign up and get five dollars in free credits kick the tires give them your input so they can build the best apis you want to use every single day learn more at m3o.com again m3o.com
2: So Nick, let's just answer the question that's burning in everyone's mind
0: right now. Why ElderJS? Do
2: only old people use this thing? What's with the
0: name? Nope. Basically, the start of ElderJS was the first project that was built with it was elderguide.com. And from an SEO perspective, I always had the theory that there's not really bad links. There are bad links. like That's not up for debate. But essentially, any legitimate links are good links. And I decided to host the documentation on elderguide.com because people linked to the documentation. So it's part of SEO experiment and part, it just seemed like it fit. It was an interesting name. My wife loved the name and she's a bit of an artist, so she drew the logo. The logo's awesome. And so it fit the brand of Elder Guide. So that's what we went with.
2: I'll give you this. It certainly has attributes of a good name. It's easy to say out loud and to spell, right? So if I say it, you can spell it so you can get there. There's no namespace clashes on Elder. It's two syllables. It's kind of a good name, actually, and I did notice that you do have the docs on your elderguide.com site. And I thought this guy knows his SEO because that's actually a nice marketing move to put the docs right there.
0: So, yeah, it's also I think as a user going to it, I've gotten the feedback a couple of times that people are like, "What is this site?" And then it like hits them that this is like a very meta thing because you're on the site that was generated by this tool. Yeah, and it, I like that effect of it as well.
3: All the good puns too, right? Respect yeah. your elders. There's, there's so many, you know, there's, so many. Get off isms. my lawn.
2: You, yeah. There's so you darn kids, kids. You know, you can yell at people.
3: I was going
4: to say, it is in some ways going back to older types of technology where you can ship pure HTML and it only is shipping, you know, a little bit of augmented age JavaScript. And the fact mm-hmm. that it's a super modern under the hood framework, like you're still, you're getting back to the roots of the web. Like old school.js. Yeah. yeah.
3: Like JavaScript for interactivity. JS, you know,
2: <laughs> JavaScript sprinkles.
3: Not JavaScript for like make the DOM and like do all the things in the browser while the user's waiting. <laughs> yeah. la, la, la. That
2: was awesome, but I feel like you're just <laughs> trying to get back on the soundboard now. No, no. no. I feel uh, like she she's now, like I'm going like, to start singing all I'm of my the sentences. <laughs>
3: soundboard. No. no, the reality is is that I was just encouraged <laughs> to do the thing that I love, which is sing. <laughs>
0: Oh, shoot. So anyway, we we encouraged her.
3: Oh, no, I'll I'll stop singing. But no, seriously, it's a dope name. Very, very dope. It
0: is cool. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, I kind of missed the days of jQuery somewhat, just a little bit where you sent like static HTML and you you made it fancy with jQuery. I mean, I don't miss jQuery, but I miss that effect of you sent static HTML and it was pretty easy to reason about. And that's essentially what ElderJS started as is just shipping static HTML. And then I found a way to partially hydrate uh, Svelte components. And then the Svelte community Asked, hey, would you open source this? And originally, Man. the entire templating library wasn't written in Svelte. It was all written in like like a, a small hand rolled lit HTML equivalent. And yeah, I ended up finding a way to make Svelte the default templating. So there's very clear server side only templates, and then there's uh, things that are client hydrated. And hmm. it works really well. I'm, I'm really happy with how it turned out. And what's nice about it is if you're not using any interactivity, you ship zero JavaScript to the browser. It's like so nice. It's exactly the way the web used to be. But if you need interactivity, it's right there. Wait,
4: you said default template. Can you use other templating languages?
0: Currently, no. But there's <laughs> no, say, there's no yeah, it's limitation. He's like, ah, no. There's no limitation to... Well, technically, I could make it so you could do it with any other language. The main problem ElderJS has is it needs to be able to look up a component just by its name. So currently, we have that in support for that with Svelte and it's like tightly coupled with a roll-up system which I, I hate bundlers by the way thank you all the people that write bundlers I don't like dealing with them thank you so much for what you do <laughs> and it's got an ES build integration as well so that has to be super tightly integrated with ElderJS or else ElderJS wouldn't be able to do what it does um, I'm just a little bit reluctant to bite off a whole nother ecosystem and so for now unless someone is really passionate and wants to come help take over that part of it it's going to stay Svelte only.
4: Well, so let's flesh out then a little bit what it does. So what are the things that ElderJS does for you?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. So before this, I ran several SEO companies. And all the way back, basically, I've said that SEO has paid the bills since I've had bills to pay. And so 2006 is when I built my first website. Obviously, it was on WordPress. Scaled that company into having hundreds of websites built on WordPress. And what we found is when we had many different developers working on it, we generally just hired freelancers it was really easy for a WordPress install to get pretty gnarly, pretty quickly, right? And so what we did is we chose a single template that had its own custom-built hooks in it. It was called Thesis Theme, And we had all of our sites ported to Thesis, and all the complexity had to live in a hooks.php file. That was our rule. And it allowed us to basically use developers interchangeably. So if one developer took a different job, we were able to hire someone else, and we knew all the complexity always lived in the hooks.php. And that philosophy allowed us to scale really, really well. And so I tried to do that with ElderJS. Essentially, ElderJS started as a static site generator. It still does, like it still can be an SSR framework. But right now, like us as a company, we use it as an SSR framework. But most people are interested in the static site generation side of things. One of the main things that I wanted here was hooks. And you can plug into any part of the page generation process or the build process and fully customize it. You can also disable almost all the features that ElderJS offers for you and plug in your own. So my, my before, goal. Wait, wait, wait. Sorry I...
4: to interrupt you, but before we run deeply on that, can you clarify what you mean by hooks? Because I think if I'm understanding correctly, you're meaning something that is closer to how WordPress thinks of hooks than what the JavaScript community often thinks of as hooks, which has been like sort of owned as a name by React Hooks. So yep. can you flesh out what you mean by hooking in this case and then keep For going? sure.
0: Yeah, you nailed it. And thanks for, for pulling that back. Essentially, WordPress had hooks that allowed you to plug into any part of the WordPress page generation process. It's not like a React hook. It's basically, here are the props that are available to you. And if you mutate this state, you can expect that to be mutated for the entire generation of that page. It was pretty nice on WordPress, but it got pretty hairy too, because you're mutating global state. And so what ElderJS has is an entire hook system. So you can plug into the bootstrapping process, the page generation process, Basically, when it writes the, the JavaScript to the, the HTML, when it generates the HTML, you have full control of every single one of those steps. But what I tried to do is I like everything to be global scope because it's a lot easier to reason about in a framework. But I wanted very specific rules of when you could mutate things and when you, when you couldn't. And so I have what I call a hook interface and it's like it enforces a contract. So if you're going to change something on a specific hook and you're not allowed to, it's going to throw an error. And what's really nice about that is if you have a a mid-sized team, well, for me, a mid-sized team, like four or five people working on it, it's really nice to have all the complexity in a single file, and you know that no one's going to mutate the global state ahead of you in a way that they shouldn't.
4: Got it. So these are request lifecycle hooks, essentially. as, as it goes through different parts of rendering your page. Though they could be, I say request lifecycle, but it could actually be during a static site. Build. Yeah, yeah, build lifecycle as well. It's like page generation lifecycle hooks. There you go.
0: Yep, so there's basically three steps, right? So there's the bootstrap process where we read in all the routes and we set up all the known pages that we're going to generate. Then there's the page generation hooks, and then there's also build hooks. And you can plug into any of those and basically customize how ElderJS performs.
3: I'm in love with this idea. I love this ownership of contracts end to end, like, you know, it feels very much like you're building in integration testing with the way you've structured this, you know, because it's like people are not stepping on each other's toes, but you're also able to like enforce, you know, data event propagation workflow, right? Because you're like, this is the way the global state should be mutated, you know, not that way, this way. And so that's super cool. For me, just again, another example of like ownership of the full pipeline, you know, and I think that's like very, that's very cool. Does it get annoying for users that there's so much opinion though? I'm curious because with great guardrails comes, you know, great I would say limitations sometimes in terms of how developers can, like how creative folks can get. Yeah. Right. Um, So I'm just curious if that's been a a, feedback that you've received.
0: My goal in writing ElderJS was to have the framework get out of your way. And anytime you make that decision, you you trade that for complexity up front of learning the framework, right? And so I actually think it's worse when you pick up a framework that's too easy to pick up. It's super easy to pick up, but it has opinions that you can't change. And so I would say that, yes, ElderJS does have a learning curve, but it's going to get out of your way if you need to customize something. And like Astro has gotten a lot of exposure recently for doing partial hydration across Svelte, View, and React, right? But mm-hmm. when I look at their model, I'm, I'm concerned that if I want to do anything that's against them, I'm going to run into errors or issues. And so when I look at ElderJS, I know that I can customize every part of the flow or the users could customize every part of the flow. They can disable everything that ElderJS does internally and write their own or they can augment it as they please. So yes, there's a steeper learning curve, but I think with that learning curve comes power.
3: Yeah, so I think that's what's really cool here is uh, actually it's both the open and closed design, you know, and the open architecture that you've built with these plugins and hooks, quote unquote. It's just a good way to write software, right? Because it's extensible and infinitely extensible. So yeah, kudos on that. It seems like you're a good software architect, actually. So thank you.
4: I want to dig a little more on something you just said, though, Amel. So you highlighted hooks and plugins. It feels like there's actually potentially some conflict between these, right? So Ooh. a plugin Plot architecture potentially allows you to kind of essentially distribute the responsibility of having to think about logic, mm-hmm. right? Encapsulate whole bodies of functionality yeah. within a plugin that you maybe don't even have to understand anything about the internals right, of. Right. But you also just said you want to be able to look at a single hooks file and have a single location of responsibility for all the sorts of modifications. And those, to me, feel like they're in conflict. So I'm curious how Elder handles that. Are you unable to plug into hooks as a plugin? How does that work?
0: So my goal was that the plugins would be first-class citizens. So they have exactly the same ability that users do, except they don't have access to one hook, which allows you to customize all the hooks. How we handle this is it actually happened by accident. Plugins are essentially given their own closure scope so when a plugin initializes, they set their default configuration, but they also get that configuration object during initialization. That configuration object is passed through every single hook that the plugin calls on. So they're able to store all of their changes or their own specifications in their own scope that no one else has access to. Even the user doesn't have access to the plugin's scope on their own hooks.
4: So then when you're rendering a page, for example, if it's using the plugin, is it mm-hmm. getting a scoped thing? And do these scopes nest or do they interact? Can you have plugins that interact in some way or have dependencies between each other? Like, how does this work?
0: So for example, the image plugin that does something similar to Gatsby image that resizes all the images and makes them responsive, interacts well with the markdown plugin. You can toggle on a feature that will replace all of your markdown images with responsive images and just under the hood. And basically all of them run in the same scope and you need to know Like there's a different priority level. So if it's 100 priority, it's going to run first. If it's zero, then it it runs last. Yes, a plugin could cause issues, but, you know, do unexpected things. But it's under the hood, it's exactly the same hook system you're working on. So if you know how the hook system works, you can go read the plugins code. It's not a perfect implementation. But I do think that the ability to put all the plugin logic in its own scope that no one else can touch is pretty much the best solution I could come up with on that idea. But I'm honestly open to other ideas if there are, are ways to handle that.
4: Got it. So I guess part of what I'm trying to understand is, like, so for a small team and small projects, mm-hmm. or a small team and large project even, but for a small team, having everything in one place that where you're continually working with global things is great. And it makes a ton mm-hmm. of sense. And I'm trying to understand whether ElderJS is essentially limited to that type of project environment, Or if it's something that can scale to larger teams where being able to isolate segments of the site, segments of the code base, and apply locally scoped things. So it sounds like I'm hearing is if I wanted to create that type of isolation, for example, I have two independent teams. They're working on different parts of the site, and they want to be able to do local applications of changes via hooks or something like that. It sounds like what they would need to do is... Structured, either they're both working in the same file and having to think about the interactions or they're structuring those local changes as plugins so that they exactly. are entirely scoped. Is that a fair assessment?
0: Yep, so if you had two separate teams, you could have them develop with the same power in a plugin by itself. And the plugin can have its own server-side templates. It can have its own hydrated svelte templates. It has full control. So essentially, Team A could be working under a plugin. Team B could be working under a plugin as well. You wouldn't be stepping on each other's toes. The other thing is, is under the hood, Elder.js has several different debug flags. So if you, you turn on debug hooks, you'll get every single thing that mutated every single state on every hook. So you can see that. If you want to know what's causing performance delays, you toggle that and you get a clean printout of every hook and how long it took to run in milliseconds. Nice. A whole bunch of these things are really trying to think about how do I troubleshoot these things? Because troubleshooting like an opaque system is really hard. And so I think the framework should give you those tools.
4: Well, and that's a great place where your background coming into this as someone with less development experience is super helpful because you've been feeling acutely the pain of how do I mm-hmm. debug this thing without fully understanding all the pieces? And so from the start, you're building in that debug ability.
0: Yeah. Essentially, everything that ElderJS does is because I've needed it. And so I didn't know SQL before I started writing ElderGuide at all. I knew nothing. And so I was just like, you know what? I, I, I think I can basically spend time optimizing queries just randomly or I can figure out which queries are running the slowest. And so I built a performance monitoring system right into the system. There's a prop that is passed into all the data files and you can basically call that start and stop before the queries. And so for me, it made it super easy to know which queries were making the build slower. So now we build an 18,000 page site in a minute and 20 something seconds, right? So that's way faster. But at the beginning it was over an hour because the queries weren't optimized. And now more than half of all that page generation time is waiting for data.
3: For me, what I'm learning about Elder is that it's this really good marriage between, I would say, practical developer needs and easy maintenance of software. Because, you know, there's a lot of kind of crufty developer tools, you know, that do X, Y, Z. Bundlers, for example, not the easiest to maintain and like ramp up and, and manage either. So I think there's like a really good balance that you've struck. But more importantly, I think, you know, there's so much lost with tools because they're built in silos. There's very little kind of like real world use case that's applied to some of the designs around developer tooling. So it's just so nice that you have like these real world needs and just like built right in. So just kudos. It's really thank you. very refreshing.
0: Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's intimidating to release software. I know it works. But I also know that there's probably better ways to do what I've done. And I'm not the smartest person in the room. And that's the scary thing is on the internet, the room is pretty large. And so I'm sure there's ways to really improve the site dramatically. And I would welcome that feedback, or not just the site, but the the architecture dramatically. One of the things I'm most proud of is partial hydration. And essentially, when you're going to hydrate a component, in just about any framework. You have to deal with what server rendered and then you have to take those same props and then mount another component on a target div or element, right? And that's a really tedious process. And it's really surprising to me that none of these front end frameworks, when you do server-side hydration, they just don't give you the hydration code right away. It just is very surprising to me that like, when you pass it into the server-side object, we don't care about the bundle size that much of the server-side object. Just pass me back the client-side code. All I need to do is pass in the folder structure. So that's where ElderJS kind of started. And now if you need to hydrate a component, you just go into one of your Svelte server files, you type hydrate-client, and all those props will be hydrated under the hood for you automatically. And it really makes making the islands approach, so to speak, or this modular, I'm only going to hydrate what needs interactivity, incredibly easy to do.
1: party people if you want to know what's happening with your code track errors and monitor app performance with sentry build better software faster with sentry's application monitoring platform Diagnose, fix, and optimize the performance of your code. Cut your time on error resolution from hours to minutes. It works with any language and integrates with dozens of services. Over 1 million developers and 68 thousand organizations already use Sentry. And best of all, GS Party listeners new to Sentry. Get the team plan for free for three months. Head to Sentry.io to get started and use the code PartyTime when you sign up. Again, Sentry.io and use the code PARTYTIME because hey, it's Party Time, y'all.
4: So, I'd love to dig in a little bit more to what you're talking about in terms of hydration. I'm not super familiar with the islands approach you're referencing, so maybe a little bit of a high level explanation of what that is. But the key problem that I have seen across a number of frameworks that do server side rendering plus client side hydration is what's sort of the uncanny valley effect, where the user sees the code or sees the page. It looks as though it should be able to be interactive, but there's a second two seconds sometimes even three or four seconds before they can actually interact with the page clicking or hovering does not have effect in the way they'd expect so i'm curious one if that's a problem within elder js and if not how you resolved
0: it okay yeah so as far as the what the islands approach is i think that was popularized by jason miller if I'm getting his name wrong, sorry. I don't read that much JavaScript. I just know that other, other people have that much JavaScript blog, so to speak. But I know that many other people have mentioned his name, popularized the idea that instead of mounting one big component that controls the entire client side, you're going to mount many, many individual components. And they each are encapsulating their own logic. That's what the Islands approach is. And as far as the input delay or like the interactivity that's not there, how we've approached it on ElderJS is. Currently, all components uh, use a intersection observer. So on body load, it triggers an intersection observer that allows you to, you know, essentially when you scroll into view, it, it mounts a component. Now on ElderJS Next, what we do is we have a request idle callback as the default. So now it's essentially going to, whenever your browser's not, not doing anything, it's going to be be hydrated, but you can override all those features by just saying hydration options is very clearly spelled out in the documentation. You can do it the moment the page is loaded, it can be preloaded, you can do all these different things. Uh, The assets can be preloaded, the JavaScript can be, so it executes faster. In general, Swell components mount pretty quickly. And if you're mounting very, very large Swell components like what what we're doing on Fine Energy, they need a lot of data. It can be a little bit slower if you're using that prop compression idea that I, I had suggested. In my experience, that can be like 36 milliseconds or something like that on really major amounts of data. Sometimes a bit higher on slower browsers, but in general, I haven't seen any input delay issues. And if you see them, please let me know because I'd like to troubleshoot those.
2: So a couple of other things as we're winding down here, but I think these are important. Production, installations, and stability. So one thing that we're all well aware of in the JavaScript space is how fast everything moves and changes. And one thing that caught my eye about Elder, you say it right there on the homepage, is that stability is a priority for you.
0: Basically, I, I'm, I'm committed to funding or personally developing the site until 2023 or 2024. Um, as long as I have sites that are production that are running on it, it's going to be maintained is essentially the reality yes. of it. Yeah. Today, I essentially run a, you could call it a startup studio, where I make several different investments in different sites and I have different projects that all run on ElderJS. And I don't see that ending anytime soon because some of these projects are starting to get substantial traction. As soon as the projects are are self-sustaining, someone's going to be hired to maintain ElderJS full-time is my goal. And we're seeing this iteration on on our properties where static site generation is great, but sometimes when you're dealing with content-heavy sites, you need real-time feedback. And so server-side rendering is important. And so that is backwards compatible. You can basically upgrade ElderJS to the latest. I try to keep so few breaking changes. The only thing that's changed is I think a couple hook interfaces, a couple entries where they've been added. There's been more permissions added to it. My goal is to keep it backwards compatible so that I don't have my own upgrade issues. But as far as server-side rendering, I was able to fit that right in without any breaking changes. And now you have an upgrade path to go right to server-side rendering if you need it.
2: So a stable API plus a committed team uh, until 2324 is kind of your plan. Of course, you have all these sites in production, so you're highly motivated to at least make sure it keeps building as the web changes. Tell us about some of the production installs because this is one of the things where like, when the rubber hits the road, software that's used to build real things I think is more valuable than software that's supposed to be used to build real things. And a lot of our stuff, we hope it's adopted. We hope it's used. And so we can tend to get somewhat, uh, I think there's an old term, architecture astronaut. I don't know. We can tend to kind of develop things in a silo or not a silo but in a vacuum and they don't get used but like this has been used since day one so I think there's actually like I just want to emphasize how much that actually matters with software is that like this is driving real world sites and you have how many sites that are in production of course elderguide.com and you also just mentioned another one tell us about some of the installs maybe how many pages they have
0: there's five that I personally manage and there's two that I talk about publicly one is elderguide and another other is Fine energy Fine energy is kind of the latest and greatest this is where we've been if you look at the Git history, there's been a, a flurry of activity. It's because we were shipping that. And I uh, added a whole bunch of features and a whole bunch of plugins that site needed. And it, I'd already done the work, so we might as well open source it. And so essentially, my business model, like I was saying, is find huge amounts of government data, make sense of it, and make tools for users to make informed decisions. Both these businesses, Elder Guide's traffic growth is going great. Fine Energy has just launched, so we'll see where it goes. Um, I also have a couple others that I don't talk about where the traffic growth is kind of off the charts, which is pretty nice. It's working and I built it for my own needs and I'm sharing it because I want to improve as a person. And I think that it's interesting to give back to the community. For a long time I was, I was the guy that was like, WordPress is free, right? And it's like, I got this, I can build sites for free. And I feel like I can go back and give back now in a way that I just couldn't before. And so that's really important. And for me, like on the different sites, it's like having control of something and adding features based on my experience is really useful, right? Like something we haven't touched based on is short codes. I think shortcodes, I'm just very surprised they're not popularized in the JavaScript community. It's like when you have static content and you have a team that's managing static content, they don't want to touch code and you don't want to have to interface with that team. You just want to empower them. And shortcodes are a fantastic way to future-proof content. Instead of embedding a YouTube embed, you know, 50 different times, 50 different embeds, you just copied it off of YouTube. You create one shortcode. And then when your content team needs to put out a video, they use that shortcode. And suddenly the YouTube changes the embed code. You change it in one place. And it future-proofs your content. And for me, Elder.js is always going to have the things that we need to build flagship SEO sites because we need them. And I see no downside to open-sourcing it because SEO is a hard game. If other teams start adopting this framework, great. I hope they contribute to it. And to be 100% honest, one of the other driving factors for releasing Elder.js is hiring is really hard. Hiring talented developers is hard. And if you have people who are picking up a cutting-edge framework and they're using Svelte, And they're kind of at the bleeding edge. You have passionate people. And like when I'm in the hiring seat, so to speak, it's a lot harder to see if someone's really passionate. But already I'm hiring people out of the Svelte community because they are passionate. They're using ElderJS. They know Svelte. And I'm I'm looking for people that have diverse backgrounds. It's like one guy is uh, amazing at huge data sets. Can he pick up Svelte and ElderJS? He picked it up super fast. And so... Part of it for, for ElderJS, it's a way of hiring for me. It's also like a way of casting that net because hiring is expensive and hard. Finding good people is really what makes the difference in a business. So there's a lot of motivating factors for me to continue maintaining it.
3: So Nick, I have a burning question that I can't believe we haven't asked yet. But, you know, so why Spelt? And really also given that you're a fan of Moving Fast you know working in a bleeding edge ecosystem has its like perks but also downsides, right? Because you don't have as much of an ecosystem, right? So you can't just like use the table library as easily and use the drag and drop library as easily or whatever, like you know, so that the kind of composability ecosystem isn't as mature. And so I'm just curious, like, hey why Svelte and, and why'd you put your money on Svelte, you know, even like given that it's bleeding edge. And then also I'm curious, what's the productionization process been like and how has it been limiting or, or enabling? And, you know, uh, just as I'm curious to hear if you, you all have hit that.
0: Great questions. On my end, I find that I basically I test, I had built a couple sites with Gatsby. And so I was familiar with React. I felt like it was just massive overkill. I tried Vue. I had built a production app with Vue on businessinternet.com. And it was super early. It was super early days when I had done that. I found it, its API a little hard to use. And so I I was trying out Svelte on a vacation, as one does. I was like, there's this new library. Let's see what this looks like. And I went through the tutorials and it was like, this just makes sense. Like you get basically the single file components with interactivity that is super easy to maintain and reason about. You got stores so you don't have to deal with Redux or any of the other magic that needs to happen to keep things in sync. And yeah, it just seemed like it was an obvious choice. And so when I started building Elder Guide, I tried to use Sapper, which is now SvelteKit. And I found it was too hard to reason about what was running on the server and what was running on the client. And that was the main like catalyst that, well, that and the, the builds of like a 4,000, 5,000 page site it was taking an incredible amount of time. And with ElderJS, I'm like, this has to be faster. And part of the problem is, is many of these static site generators, what they do is they spin up a headless browser and they crawl your site like a bot would do. One of the key things that ElderJS did from the beginning was we need you to define all of your requests up front unless you're using server-side rendering. And that allows us to have a superpower where we can build everything in parallel. In some cases, there was one user that was testing ElderJS against Hugo, and we we were beating Hugo on like 10,000 page sites. So that's, uh, the JavaScript can be very fast if you're thinking about it and you have all the data up front. So,
3: yeah. Well, actually, before, before you go on to that, so to bring it full circle, it really did help you move faster, like the, the kind of the, the simplicity of Spelt. like, you know, there's some wind there that's like, was worth it for y'all, right?
0: Definitely. So a good example is I've worked with the same HTML, CSS guy for years, right? He knows some JavaScript and he picked up Vue. He's been someone that I've worked with for a long time. And I was like, hey, try this out. Tell me what you think. He's like, I can do things that I never thought I could do. And like giving people superpowers allows a small team to move much, much faster. And I think Svelte does that in a way that I didn't see in the Vue the or React ecosystems. And so, yeah, you don't have the huge libraries. You don't have like React Table or any of these other major libraries. But building a table interface is, you know, an hour work. It's not that hard to make your own reusable components. We haven't been limited by that at all. In a lot of ways, we also probably ship a lot less JavaScript because we write it all in-house. Hmm.
2: Very cool. Well, we have to wrap here, of course, listeners, all the links to all the things Elder Guide and Elder JS, and any other links that Nick gives. I'm sure he'll give us a bunch because he's the SEO guy. So we'll link them up in the show notes for you guys to click through on. KBall, Amel, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Wanted to give a shout out to a couple upcoming episodes. KBall's doing a cool interview about JavaScript on Wasm. We'll be at Wasm will be back. We have a... Show with Feroz, we're gonna dive into his Wormhole app, which is a really cool new project from Feroz. So we'll dive deep into that. And we also have Kent C. Dodds coming soon to JS Party talking advanced React concepts. So that's just a few shows we have coming down the pipeline. So definitely subscribe if you haven't and do come and join us live each and every Thursday at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern time. Hang out in the JS Party channel of our chat and uh, party with us, y'all, cause it's lots of fun as we record. Nick. We really appreciate you coming on the show. We appreciate you kicking your imposter syndrome in the face and, you know, open source and elder and getting all the goods.
0: Thanks for having me. It's been a blast.
2: Survey says we are gearing up for our next front end feud episode and we need your help. Fill out the survey at jsparty.fm slash FF and you could win a free JS Party t-shirt. Once again, that's jsparty.fm/slash ff, like front end feud. Jsparty is produced by Jared Santo with music by the beat freak, Breakmaster Cylinder. We are brought to you by Fastly, LaunchDarkly, and Linode. Next up on the pod, even more Nicks. This time, Nick Fitzgerald joins K Ball and Nick Nisi to talk about making JavaScript run fast on WebAssembly. We'll have that episode ready for you next week.
4: I 100% talk to my code. You talk to your code, yeah. Especially, debugging. what do you say to
2: it? Like, uh, come on, code, you Aha, can do it. I
4: found you, you stinking bug.
2: <laughs> well, that's talking to the bug. Okay, but do you talk to your code like maybe in an encouraging fashion? Like, come on, little guy, you can do it. Just go like, ahead. What and loop, are
4: you doing? Here? Finish that loop
2: out. Come on.
4: It's more like, yeah, it's a dialogue, right? It's like, what, what, are, what exactly is going on here? What do you think you're doing? Okay, what you think you're doing is not what I think you're doing. So somewhere in here we have a mismatch. Nice. How yeah. about you, Amal? Do you talk to your
2: code?
3: I think talk is an understatement. <laughs> okay.
2: Break right here. Break. That was okay. a great ending to the thing. You know how these things go. To the thing. yeah. Sorry, I the...
3: cursed. You didn't curse. You said asinine. I don't, That's a yeah, word. I don't know if asinine is like a curse or not. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what the... FAA or whatever the FAA. PAA <laughs> regulations are I don't know just just kidding
2: Aiden says it's the FCC that would be blocking us for saying yeah, the word asinine yeah. not the FAA I know. unless I know. you I say asinine just... you can't say asinine in an airplane and um, then I the was... FAA comes after you <laughs> it's hilarious yeah by the way ML, you've made the soundboard are you ready?
3: web lovers
2: so there oh, you go remember that?
3: love it yeah yes I do we're
2: working on a soundboard and you're on there
3: Web awesome.
2: lovers. k-ball still hasn't got on the soundboard i think that's okay i'm just waiting for k-ball to say something stupid i mean cool enough
3: <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> i feel like every episode i Is have something stupid. stupid so it's just what no, you it's want to pick
2: awesome
3: web lovers yeah. yeah yeah you did not just say that all right
2: let's get back to the show.
3: <laughs> that's awesome
4: aha i found you you stinking bug